Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. I feel like it's hard to not be good after that worship, right? Some songs just got the right tone for where you are in your life in this moment, right? That a song that's sung all over the world can connect with you and connect you to the heart of God for you in a moment of need that you have. And God is always so good for that. Well, I got to tell you, I apologize if you notice the slight lisp in my voice. Um, I did my cousin Carly's wedding. She got married on Friday, this last Friday. And about one hour before I was going to do the ceremony, I got stung in the tongue by a bee. <laughs> Serious. So it was a very interesting experience to have. I spit coffee all over my car as I tried to figure out what was happening to me. So thank God the swelling has gone down a little bit. I ate more ice on Friday afternoon than I've ever eaten in my entire life. So, but you know what? It was good. And the wedding happened and it was beautiful and they got married and it was good. So uh, we're in week four now of our series that's entitled We're Going Up. Okay. I mean, in a world that's trying to make us feel like we're all going down, how many of you know there's good news that there's some of us, listen, I chose a long time ago that CNN and Fox News and whatever all the Canadian ones are, I don't even watch the Canadian, CTV, I wanted to say HSBC, but I know that's a bank, CBC, I chose a long time ago that they don't determine how I feel about my life, that there's another source of news that I choose to listen to, and that's the word of God and the voice of God in my life. And so we could talk about we're going up in the middle of a world that is only talking about going down because we have a different source for our news. Now, I would like to be a little bit honest and transparent today, though, because just a little. I just don't know how much you can handle, right? Is that sometimes we, you know, last week we talked about when going up feels like going down. And how many of you know we've been there? And today the title of my message is Give Up or Go Up. Give Up or Go Up. And the majority of us, honestly, and I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking today to those of you who feel like quitting, okay? Because let me tell you, it's really easy to, in the middle of a good worship song, to feel good. It's like when my Aunt Joy pumps you up and hypes you up. You're like, yes, I, in fact, can conquer the world. But then my Aunt Joy goes home and I go home. And I'm reminded of all my problems. You know, we spend the month talking about going up. But honestly, how many of you had a season in your life where you would much rather give up than go up? Could be your marriage. Could be a dream that you have. Could be a ministry that you believe God has put in your heart. Could be your kids, that no matter how much you try and how much you pray, it seems that they just get farther and farther away from God. Could maybe be an addiction that you're struggling with. Maybe you fell into some old addictive patterns during 
the season of lockdown we just went through. And maybe, honestly, it's just generally about life. And this is a message for people who, you know, we've tried. And you've prayed. And you've believed. And you sit here feeling like, I just got nothing left. The title of our text this morning is going to be Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 and 37. It's going to set the tone for us for where we're going to go today. Because I believe that each of us daily face the choice to either go up or give up. And when we understand how to turn our give ups into go ups, life begins to turn around. And this is what it says in Hebrews. It says, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Verse 36 says it like this, you need to persevere. You need to persevere. So that when you've done the will of God, you will receive. Okay, I'm going to put a little bit of emphasis on this text here. It doesn't say you might receive. It doesn't say if you did it perfectly, then, you know, God's going to spin the, you know, lottery wheel of life in it. No, it says, when you've done the will, you've persevered, and you've done and continued to do the will of God, you will receive. Make no bones about it. There is no wavering in the mentality of God. He says, you will receive what he has promised. Verse 37 says this, for in just a little while, how many of you know, I've learned that when God says in just a little while, you know, God is rarely early, but I'll tell you, he's also never late. He says in just, just hold on a little longer for in just a little while, he who is coming will come. Again, that might come, that may come. He will come and he will not delay. Give up or go up. You're going to throw in the towel or you're going to go up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we stand excited about what you have coming in the future for us. We know as we sang these songs and as we, our perspective shifts onto who you are, Lord, we declare it's our time to go up. No matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through, we say we're going up. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd rest heavily on us this morning as we choose to run after you to pick up some of those things that maybe we've let go of. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to start this message today giving a little bit of good news. This is a message for people who know that God has more for you. That maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like, I am tired of settling for less than the things that God has promised to me. God has more. And, and there's a woman, uh, kind of the, a little bit of what sparked my, the desire to put this message together was there's a woman who, her name is Angela Duckworth, and 
she did a study out of, you know, she, she's from the University of Harvard, the University of Oxford, and she put together this study and she had this question of why do successful people succeed? And what she did was she looked at three main groups of people. The first group of people was uh, people who went to West Point Military School. The second group of people were teachers who taught in some of the toughest school districts. And the third grouping of people were, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth graders who were able to succeed and win national spelling bees. So she'd look at, you know, West Point, the, the military school that's in New York, and, you know, she wondered, you know, what made people who dropped out, dropped out, drop out? Like, who succeeded to the end versus who dropped out? She looked at some of the teachers in the toughest school districts and said, you know, which were the last ones to quit? Who were the teachers who, in the midst of challenge, were able to thrive. She looked at these, you know, seventh and eighth graders who, you know, go through probably more stress than the majority of us have faced in our life as they're trying to spell these words that I most of the time can't even pronounce. And yet they somehow do it in an auditorium full of people. What is it that made these people successful? And she realized something and... I think the majority of us would know this at this point, is she realized that the most important quality wasn't IQ. It wasn't the intelligence quotient or kind of the standardized test that they use to determine how, quote unquote, smart someone is. It wasn't EQ, which is the emotional quotient, which is how well somebody can, you know, understand emotions and navigate through challenging emotions. She realized that the most important quality was this thing called AQ. And AQ is the adversity quotient. <laughs> Most of you are like, nope, it counts me out. <laughs> There's actually a book that I read years ago when this concept of grit was very popular. Maybe, you know, five or six years ago, everybody was talking about grit. And, and I, I read a book or the majority of a book that was called Grit. And one of the things stood out to me was the, the author of this book defined grit. And it says that, Grit is passion and perseverance for long-term goals. It is passion and perseverance, right? This isn't just perseverance for a semester. This isn't just perseverance to like try to get through this really challenging dinner that you're about to have with your in-laws. This is passion and perseverance. This is like the kind of passion and perseverance when you're raising a child that has special needs. When you decide to serve Jesus in the middle of your chronic illness, when you've gone before him and prayed and interceded year after year and it would seem as though nothing is happening. It's the ability to show up day after day in the midst of 
disappointment and trials and troubles when it's easier to simply just walk away. And I believe the scripture that we're going to go through today, if you will allow it, will give you a glimpse into an uncommon faith that I believe created one of the greatest Old Testament stories that we get to read about and experience. And and this passage of scripture is Joshua chapter six. So it's the sixth book and the sixth chapter. And I have to admit that I did copy Pastor Stephen Furtick a few years ago, preached a message, and it was just so good, it stuck with me. The title of his message was Don't Stop on Six. And well, I wouldn't say I copied him, I would like to say I gleaned. I changed the title, right? But he had some very interesting insights on the text, and I, I want to take us through it a little bit. And to give us a little bit of context of where we are in Joshua chapter 6 here, the context is, is that, you know, Moses was alive and went through the, the, the book of Exodus, as we know, as Israel was in slavery for close to 500 years. And Moses is, is raised up by God to be the deliverer, deliverer of the Israelites. And they're led out of Egypt and they make a short trip, which would equate to typically about a two-week journey to the promised land. And how many of you know they send spies in? Two spies go in with a good report. Ten spies go in and they have a bad report. And Israel then goes and spends 40 years wandering around in the desert. So where we find ourselves in scripture in Joshua chapter six is, is that God has promised his people Jericho, but at this point, they hadn't yet taken hold of the promise. And this is what it says in Joshua chapter six. We're going to read verse one to verse five in the New Living Translation. It says, now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. Shut tight. How many of you feel like some things that you're believing God for at this point seem to be shut tight? No one was going in and no one was coming out. But the Lord said to Joshua, I've given you Jericho, its king, and all of its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing their horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Let's practice that. Online, shout in your cars, in Buffalo. Have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. Now, the assignment was simple, right? March around one time for six days, seven times on the seventh day, easy. How many of you would say some of the instructions that God has given to you in the moment that you received them felt very easy, right? Like when God would say to you, maybe stand firm. 
in the moment, you're like, easy enough. Until it's five years later, and you're still trying to stand firm. So the question is, if God's instructions are so simple, which they almost always are, why do we give up? If the instructions are simple, if the process seemingly is simple, stand firm, why do we give up? And I'm going to submit to you two reasons today why we give up. Number one is that our perspective is often limited. Here's the thing. Oftentimes when we, uh, when we see depictions of Jericho, then you see people walking around Jericho. You feel like the city was this massive city, okay? But in fact, Jericho wasn't, you know, the actual like land mass size. Jericho was not a very big city. In fact, scholars, as they have drawn, you know, the, the, the boundaries of the city, said that when the Israelites would have marched around the city, it would have only taken them about an hour. So it wasn't this like all day march. It wasn't like they were like slaving and trying. No, it was like, you know, an afternoon stroll, just, you know, a quick power walk around the walls of Jericho. And that's all they were doing for the day. And here's the deal is that the problem was, is that it wasn't that the city was very big. The problem was that the walls were high. So Israelite is finally in this moment so close to their promise. But the walls made the promise feel unattainable. Maybe you can relate to this, right? Where you know what you want, or maybe you know where you want to be. But all you can see our walls, our problems, our obstacles, our challenges. You know, like you want to get out of debt. You have a determination that before the end of the year, you're going to get out of debt. You know, you've done the 10-day financially free thing and you've taken the Dave Ramsey courses and you're like, this is it. I'm going to get debt free. And finally, as you're just about to make the last credit card payment, three things in your house break and you find yourself in a worse position than when you started. Maybe it's that you're determined that, listen, our whole family is gonna go to church, and then this morning when you finally gathered everybody together and we're finally gonna get to church this morning, people are running late, and so you find yourself cussing at your wife and you're driving to church realizing why on earth are we even going? Maybe it's you're trying to mend a bad or a broken relationship and you go out to dinner only for that dinner to end in a shouting match and security gets called and you get escorted out and it seems challenging because of our limited perspective. And it's interesting how in verse one, we see that Jericho is securely barred. It says, not only are there guards standing at the door to keep people from coming in, it says this city is locked up so tight that people can't go in or out. How many of you know we can relate to how that feels now? 
they were on lockdown. No one gets in, no one gets out. And in verse two, God says to them, I've given you Jericho. Sometimes it bothers me when I read scriptures and it says things like this. Because I like, you know, I like to put myself in the, in the story. You know, and I'm thinking if I get up and there's no one coming in and no one coming out, I don't really want God to just say, I've given you the city. I need God to be like, I've given you the city. And this is how you're good. This is like what's going to play by play how it's all going to come together. But I've realized this. God speaks this way because God is the only one who can speak in past tense before present reality. So what I'm trying to say is that God is the only one who can tell you what is before what is actually is. So this is why oftentimes we experience moments, maybe in prayer or in our personal time with the Lord, where God will speak something to you in past tense, even though you're living in present tense and your present tense doesn't feel like already God's past tense. Because God is and lives as much in your victory as he is currently living with you in your moment of perceived defeat. So we see this in God and in the lives of the Israelites. And I wonder today if you have an area of your life where what he says about you is different than what you feel about you. I wonder this morning if God says something about you that when you look at you, you see something different than what he sees in you, right? Like he says, you're healed and you feel broken. He says, he's gonna bless you. And yet you feel like he's forgotten you. He says, you're an overcomer. You're more than a conqueror in Christ and you feel overcome daily. Like sometimes you feel like getting out of bed just feels like more than you can muster up. And I've realized that this is simply because oftentimes our perspective is limited. So this is like the Israelites, right? They're marching around the wall and the Israelites, you have to remember this, the Israelites don't know the end of the story, okay? We live in this great place where walking around the wall is just a few, it's like 30 seconds in reading before you find out that the walls come tumbling down. You know, you could even speed read and do it in less if you're like so anxious to know like what happens here. But the Israelites are marching day after day and they have no idea what was happening, right? And you know, and here's a spoiler alert if you didn't go to Sunday school 
right? You know, they walk six days, one lap. They walk seven days. They walk seven laps. They blow the horns. They shout, and the walls come tumbling down. In fact, it's, it's become so famous that they've even made a children's story or children's song out of it, you know? And, and the song, it goes like this. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Right? Like, super catchy song. But can I tell you something? Joshua would have hated that song. Like, if you sang that song to Joshua, he would be like, shut your mouth. That's the stupidest song I have ever heard. Why? Because there is so much more to the story. Right? This wasn't just like a seven-day joy hike where he was like, come on, guys, grab your canteens and your bird-watching book, and we're going to go, like, march around the wall for a little bit and see what we can see. This was 40 years of wandering and walking and waiting and wondering, God, where, where are you? Like, this wasn't just like walk around the wall seven times and the walls are going to come down. Joshua's like, this is my life. I've been walking for 40 years. Why would seven days make any more of a difference? You know, this is like if we bring Joshua into the modern day context, right? And we imagine like far-fetched idea, but like, Joshua is addicted to meth, and he's like a porn addict, right? And, you know, he meets God, and he's like, I'm going to get clean. And, you know, he tries and fails and tries and fails, and he does a seven-step program, you know, and he's clean for six months, and he fails, and he gets an accountability partner who helps him a little bit, but he gets ashamed and fails. And then finally, five years later, he hits this moment where he's finally clean. And then we sing a song about Joshua. Joshua was addicted to drugs and porn, drugs and porn, drugs and porn. Joshua was addicted to drugs and porn. Then he prayed, and now he's fine, right? You'd be like, this is a stupid song, because there was so much more to the story. And isn't this so true that often we can look onto people's successes? We can look into somebody else's stories, but people don't know the price that you've paid. People don't know the pain that you have endured. Oftentimes people can't even imagine the private battles that you face daily to show up, the personal sacrifices, what it takes to keep believing in the face of decades and years of waiting and wondering and crying out to God. Our perspective is often limited. The second thing is that our progress isn't always obvious. Our progress isn't always... This is what it says in Joshua chapter 6 as we finish a little bit more of the story. It says this, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, don't raise your voice, don't say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. 
So he took the ark of the Lord, carried it around the city, circling once, and the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. Verse 14 says, so on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. Can you imagine the frustration? Because here's the thing. This wasn't just six days of doing something that seemed pointless. This was decades of waiting. Decades of trusting. Decades of showing up. This was decades of realizing everything around you tells you that God is not with you. And yet I choose to believe that what he said to me thousands of years prior is going to come. This is men trained for battle. People ready. Just, you know, like, just let me in there. Like, I will find a way to get, like, I'm ready for war. And they're walking. I can imagine, like, they, you know, they get back to their, like, base, their camp, you know. And one of the soldiers, you know, their wife texts them, you know, like, what's up, warrior babe? I bet you look so sexy right now after your battle, just gleaming in sweat. Oh, I love to rub my hands over your blood-drenched body. How many bad guys did you kill, babe? I bet you it was a ton. And the guy texts back, yeah, you know, we're just warming up. You know, just, you know, stretching our muscles, you know, walking around. Do a lot more sitting than I do anything else. And day after day, no progress. Day after day, no evidence that God was doing anything for them. Like, I always think that it would be cool if we could live our life where every day God would give us some sort of external reality that tells us that we're one step closer. Like, I would like it to be like, remember those old video games? I wasn't really a gamer, but I can remember like one of the original Mario's was like whenever you were making progress, you knew you were making progress because the music changed. Where like, I can remember, you know, like you'd get into the, the place where the boss was and it would change like, boo doo 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 Right? The music told me, like, it doesn't, I feel like I'm still, like, running and jumping, but this music makes me feel like I'm doing something important right now. And I would love it if life was like that. Or I would have loved it for the Israelites, right? That every day that they obeyed God and they marched around the wall, that one-seventh of the wall falls down, Right? Like, good job for obeying and walking today. Here's a seventh of the wall to show you that I am, in fact, the one who has instructed you to do this. Because I've realized something. We can handle the process if we can experience some or see some kind of progress. I can do the heart. It's like when somebody first starts their workout journey and they work out for the first few months and they don't see progress. And then finally they see some muscle that they haven't seen. And all of a sudden now it's like they're working out three times a day and like they're willing to do. Why? Because it's easy to go through the process 
when we see the progress. It's easy to fight for your marriage when you see that things are getting better. It's easy to pay down your debt when you can see that eventually, if I just stay on this schedule, I'm going to be financially free. It's easy to eat good when you know this summer you're going to look good on the beach, right? Like, I don't know about you, but I would like literally snort hummus all day long. Just like, just like give me all the hummus. If I know that I'm going to go to the beach just shredded. But here's the thing. Not only does Israel not see progress, Joshua tells them, don't even talk. You know how sometimes when you don't see progress, venting a little bit helps you feel a little bit better. You got to just like release the pressure a little bit. And Joshua says, don't talk. Walk, don't talk. Keep with the walkie, none of the talkie. Don't give a war cry. Don't raise your voices. Don't say a word. I asked myself, why did Joshua say that? And we can't be sure because we're never given the reason, but I have a speculation. And that's because Joshua knew that sometimes, most of the time, your mouth is your worst enemy. Because how many of you know the only thing the Israelites at this point knew how to talk was they only knew how to talk the wilderness. They only knew how to talk 40 years of walking and not seeing anything happen. So Joshua knows if they start walking around the wall and we need to believe that something is going to happen and you guys are all spewing all your garbage about, well, today's just like the last 4,000 days that we lived where's God? And Joseph is the worst leader. Like, where's Moses? Give us Moses, right? We definitely, if Abraham was here, he would have told us to do something better. They would have talked all their can'ts, all their nevers. They would have talked their bad, getting to worse. Can I tell you, sometimes you just need to tell yourself, shut up, (laughs) right? Isn't that the truth? Like, sometimes you just got to shut up and keep marching, you know, like you want to just start, but somebody's got to be like, I'm going to follow you, God. Sometimes you just got to shut your mouth and keep trusting. Sometimes you just got to shut your mouth and keep praying. Sometimes you just got to shut your mouth and keep loving that person who seems unlovable. You just show up and keep forgiving. You just choose whether I see the progress or not. I'm going to keep showing up. I learned a long time ago that sometimes I got to talk to myself. Sometimes I got to talk to my flesh. Sometimes I got to talk to my feelings and I have to like remind myself, listen, I know that it looks bad, right? Emotions, you are not telling me anything that I do not also see. But listen, I don't walk by sight. 
I don't live my life based off of what makes sense or the logical conclusions out of how to get to where I, no, I live by faith. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, this is the bread. This is my sustenance. It's interesting though, that God only told Joshua that the process is going to take seven days. But Joshua never told the people how long they would be marching for. As far as they knew, this was just the continuation of the previous 40 years. And isn't that so frustrating sometimes when we continue to do the right thing and yet there's no end in sight? You keep loving. You keep trusting. You keep tithing. You keep showing up. In the midst of when things seem like they're getting worse, you keep choosing. You keep believing, right? I've realized it would be so easy to hold out for a godly spouse if you knew that God was going to send you a hottie with a body in six months, right? Like it would be so easy to endure your spouse's depression if you know that God was going to heal your broken marriage by Christmas this year. Why? Because we can endure the pain when we can see the payoff. But I've realized something, that maybe the silence is God deepening our trust. That he's teaching us because, man, it's so easy to trust in things and depend on things that we can see and touch and taste and feel. But maybe he's teaching us to depend on him. Because I tell you, it's often when we don't see results that God is building our faith. Because aren't we so outcome focused? Like, aren't we so focused on like the promise? Like the best word that you could receive at the altar is that God sees your cries and the promise is just on the... How many of you know like the worst word that you could get at the altar would be like endure or persevere? You'd be like thinking like, no thanks, I'm going to get prayed by that person over there because they typically give me nicer words. But here's something that I've realized is that God often does something in you before he does something for you. He's more focused on maturity. He's more focused on healing the brokenness. He's more interested in dealing with my inability to trust. He does something in me before he does something for me. I said at the beginning that I wanted to get real and personal and I, I gotta tell you that this year, more than any other year, I have been tempted to just 
quit the whole thing. Like most people complain to me about COVID and I'm like, COVID for me was easy. I was talking to someone who was months and months ago helping me walk through things and my, the way that I described it was that I've gone through a lifetime worth of pain in 10 months. I can remember having gone through five or six different literally insane things and the final thing that was like, good Lord, I can remember standing in the shower and I said to God, I said, if this happens, I can't believe in you anymore. And then it happened. And I had a decision to make. I'm either going to throw in the towel or I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to wipe the sweat off my brow. Listen, I came to talk to somebody this morning who's been faithful for a long time. That you've been trusting, you've been praying, you've been believing, and you're just not seeing the promise. I'm here to tell you this morning, you are closer than you think that you are. Listen, I don't care how far away it looks, you are closer today than you think. You are. I liken this to this woman. I learned about her in high school. Her name was Florence Chadwick. And she was the first woman to ever swim the English Channel in both ways. And in 1952, Florence Chadwick decided to attempt the 26-mile swim between the California coastline and the Catalina Island. Okay? Though geographically, doesn't matter. You know, it was 26 miles to swim, okay? And 15 hours into the swim, okay, she's, she's exhausted, and a thick cloud sets in over the water. It's disorienting. It's discouraging. It kind of creates chaos for her and also the people in the boat, and, and she wants to quit, and the people in the boat are yelling at her like, keep going, you're closer than you think, keep going. And she's trying and trying, and eventually she's like, I'm done. She quits, she gets in the boat, and as the fog lifts, she realizes she's less than a half a mile away from the coastline. Can I tell you something that I have learned? It is always the darkest before the dawn. That the moment you feel like you couldn't get any farther from the promise is often the moment that you're closer than you think you are. This is what Hebrews 10.36 says, you need to persevere. So that when you've done the will of God, you will receive all that he has promised, right? So you've been, you know, you've been walking and you've been praying and you've been fighting and you've been believing, right? And you're like, lap one, right? And I'm still praying, right? I'm happy, I'm trusting and everything is still good. And then I get to lap two, right? I don't see any results, but it's still early on. And so I'm still walking 
and I'm still trusting, and I'm still believing. And then I get to lap three, and listen, here's the deal. All I see still are obstacles. All I'm seeing is that I got the promise, but I'm still seeing the challenge. I don't see you, God. I don't feel you. I don't hear you. I don't know what's going on, but I'm going on lap four, and I'm going to continue to trust. And I'm trusting even though I'm discouraged. I'm trusting even though everybody tells me to stop. And and then I get, you know, now it's lap five and I'm starting to get a little bit ticked off. And I'm starting to get a little frustrated wondering, God, are you even real? And then lap six, I'm having a crisis of belief. But I'm here to tell you something today. Some of you are on lap six. You're getting ready to walk through into your promised land. Don't quit on six. Don't stop believing. Don't stop trusting. It says that he will. Now he might, not he may. It says, don't grow weary. You have no idea. Don't quit on your marriage. Don't quit on the ministry God put in your heart. Don't quit on your kids, no matter how far away they seem. And most of all, don't quit on God. Don't stop on six. Don't stop on five. Don't stop on four. Don't stop on three. Don't stop on two. Don't stop on one. Don't quit. You are closer than you think you are. Listen, you can either throw in the towel or you can pick it up wipe the sweat off of your brow. You can dust your feet off and continue to trust in God. Can I tell you when you were about to quit, remember why you started. And this is why Galatians 6, 9, and I'm done, says this. Let us not be weary. Listen, he wrote, let us not be weary because he knows. Y'all going to feel weary. It's going to get hard. It's going to feel tough. You're going to want to quit. He said, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. If we do not give up. You give up or you go up. Come on, you give up. Come on, put that thing in your head right now that you feel like giving up on. You're gonna give up. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. Listen, this is for someone. Don't quit. Don't quit on God. Let me tell you, I had the craziest year. One day I'm gonna write a book. Danielle and I are going to title it something like, that sucked, or something like that, you know. Because <laughs> that's pretty much the only appropriate title to give it. <laughs> or we just call it like, well, <laughs> don't quit. He's with you. He hears you. He knows you. He sees you. Come on, he's a good father. The Bible says you think you're good to your kids, how much you love your kids, and the ridiculous things you'll do for your kids. 
He says, you think you're good? You're evil compared to how good I am. Why? Because he, he's working something in me. I tell you, it's the weirdest thing. Thinking about this year still makes me cry because I'm not through it yet. But I'm at the point now already where I look back and I see it was hard. But man, I'm so thankful for what I got out of it. The very thing that I thought would cause me to curse God deepened, it brought me beyond the intimacy that I thought that I could experience. I had a conversation with Blake and April Healy months ago in the middle of this and kind of like laid it all out for them and I was like, you know, I said this thing to them. I said like, I could understand it if you know, God did this for some greater good. But I said, the problem with that is it's theologically inaccurate. Or I said, I could understand this if God was just some distant out there cosmic being who really didn't care anything about me. And so this just happened as the random chaos of life. But I said, that too is bad theology. And so I'm finding myself in a place where I don't understand. And Blake, y'all know how wise Blake is. And he said to me, currently you have a small plate. And this is how I understand God. He said to me, all that's happening right now is you're getting a bigger plate. Why? Because he does something in us. The quit is natural. The quit is temporal. The quit is driven by emotions and feelings. But when I realize that God is doing something in me, before he's doing something for me, Now I can endure. So Father, this morning, as we sit in this moment with you, the truth is we've all had a bad year. The truth is we all face challenges every single day. The truth is we all want to quit. We all want to give up. But the larger truth is you're good. The larger truth is the steps of the righteous are ordered. The larger truth is, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you're with me. The larger truth is, don't give up when it gets hard. Because in due season, we will reap. This morning as we talk about going up, we accept this as our truth. 
They're just like people climbing Mount Everest. It feels great when you get to the top. But if you don't persevere, Lord, anoint us to persevere. Grace us to go up. In Jesus' name, amen.